Bring proofs. Yeah. Elflings and halflings, wanderlings, and people struck by the stars, welcome to the third installment of The Smartest Man in the World from the inner recesses of Bar Lubitsch and the gritty underbelly of West Hollywood here on Santa Monica Boulevard in a bar that can best be described as a place where the Romanoffs would come to hide right before the moment of denouement when the, when the Reds run them down. Uh, this is the place of the, of the lampshade and the nude portrait of the uh, crystal chandelier and vodka served icy cold in tumblers to inebriates who wander up and down these city darkened slicked rained stormwatch 2010 los angeles streets <laughs> thank you so much for coming out tonight ladies and gentlemen uh golly and listeners who are podding out there in pod world um let's first get uh, the first thing on the agenda is last uh, episode or whatever we're calling these last time we convened uh, i was complaining that uh, uh president obama hadn't pardoned anyone and his uh two years almost in office. He'd pardoned a Thanksgiving turkey, which is always a hilarious gag, uh, because as you know, meat is murder and unbelievably delicious. Um, I wouldn't pardon a turkey because I think turkeys know what they fucking did. And uh, yeah, and for that they must pay, okay? Let's get serious about birds for just two seconds. They know what they do and they fucking deserve it, okay? That's why they're so fun to shoot and eat and roast and stuff like that. And why they're so delicious. And they literally, nothing makes its own gravy. Fucking turkeys make their own gravy. That's what's awesome about them. They do. If you take the drippings out of the pan, you just whip some stuff in there and it's gravy. Uh, so, I, 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 not but days after we recorded uh, the last Proofcast, President Obama heeded my call and pardoned nine people. Uh, out of bloody nowhere, as far as I was concerned, he's had something like 551 pardon petitions, and he's ignored 265 and blah, 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 blah. He pardoned nine people, fantastically, all of whom are cokeheads. And uh, that's what makes these pardons so great. You'd think it would be political prisoners or people who are thrown in jail. It was a guy who... Uh, Ronald Lee Foster of Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, an unforgettably named town. Now, I've never been to Beaver Falls, but it's a short poem if you think about it. Um, the sister city to Beaver rises, I'm guessing, or Beaver gets back up, or uh, <laughs> I'm a beaver and I've fallen, and I'm in Pennsylvania. Uh, beaver Falls, Pennsylvania said he got into trouble. Uh, a I, I love newspaper writing. Nearly a half century ago, I guess 50 years ago would have been a little inaccurate and vague. Nearly a half century ago, during those halcyon days of yore, you know, a half century ago, which is always dimly viewed through the mists of time. Uh, when a young Marine, he whittled coins, he put dimes in vending machines, he chopped up pennies, and he got a pardon. Uh, he chopped up pennies and put them, made them into dimes and put them in vending machines some half century ago, uh, during that epoch that none of us remember. And... Uh, he got a pardon. He says he wasn't aware he even had a felony conviction on his record until he applied for a gun permit in Pennsylvania five years ago and was denied. That's one of the important pardons that Obama's handed out. So thank fuck that's been resolved. Um, a lot of the vending machine inequities of the 50s have been plaguing my mind and keeping me awake at night. You might see my van driving around the neighborhood as I wear my tinfoil hat. When will these be people, people be brought to heel? When will justice be fucking served? When will Lincoln pennies get their due? They're not Roosevelt dimes and don't turn them into those. Um, 
This was my favorite part. Uh, presidential pardons often come in the holiday season toward year's end. Another great newspaper writing uh, sentence. You mean not that other holiday season in early March where we celebrate March 3rd? And then subsequent to that, March 7th, that other awesome fucking rocking holiday. Yeah, the end of the year is when they're all fucking bunched up. Uh, presidential Bush, Presidential Bush, holy kittens. Be still my tongue. President George W. Bush drew heat for commuting the sentence of Lewis Scooter Libby. First of all, whenever you're unbelievably evil, whenever you hang upside down and drink the blood of embryonic lambs in the morning for breakfast, you should always have a nickname like Scooter. I think part of the problem with Pol Pot and Hitler and General Pinochet is that they didn't have zesty nicknames that people could hook into. Now, this bar being so Russian, uh, Stalin, now we know him as Iron Joe, but how do we know that in Russia he wasn't called like Skipper or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, Stalinsky or something fun. Uh, Scooter Libby, uh, Vice President Cheney's former chief of staff, um, in the case of the 2003 leak of CIA operative Valerie Plame's identity, he refused it. But Bush rejected Cheney's vigorous urging that he later pardon Libby as well. You may remember that golden moment in American history when uh, Cheney's right-hand man outed CIA agents and put their life in danger. But then later this week, when uh, an insane sex-crazed Australian dude published a bunch of stuff that a private who had the lowest security access in the history of mankind out at a zillion items about the American government is thrown into jail without bail and without charges. It's funny how justice fucking works. Maybe not so funny because I've noticed a lot of quiet in the room right now. <laughs> Maybe a little less funny than I intended it to be. I thought it was funnier than that. I was fucking laughing. The president was moved. This is Obama. The president was moved by the strength of the applicants' post-conviction efforts at atonement, as well as their superior citizenship. I'm assuming they helped people cross the street and uh, always kept their shoes shined. Citizenship is such a vague term to define. When I was in school, it meant that you know, like you could, you know, lead in the pledge and then dust off erasers later. Are you trying to bring the alcohol? No. Oh, you're trying to sit near me awesome these are the people that he pardoned some of them because these are deliciously good Russell, Russell James Dixon of Clayton Georgia sentenced for two years of probation in 1960 for a liquor law violation again when will the people who buy liquor on Sunday that oughtn't to have be fucking put back on the streets huh. Timothy James Gallagher of Navasota, Texas. Again, another unforgettable name. I've never even heard of fucking Navasota, Texas. I, uh, people have been to Texas. I've been to Texas. Navasota? Where the fucking cock is Navasota, Texas? Well, it's, you know, it's about 100 miles outside of... No, it's not. Because I've been there and it's not. I've been outside of Tyler. And if you haven't been to fucking West Texas, you've never drank booze out of a cutoff you know, uh, orange juice jug, because that's how they do it there. And then set off fireworks and maybe throw some shit into a lake and watch fish pop up. You know, the kind of fun we have in Texas. Uh, sentenced in 1982 to three years of probation for coke possession and conspiracy to distribute. 
It's always a conspiracy to distribute when you're distributing Coke because you have to go, hey, do you want some? And then the other person goes, yeah. I mean, otherwise, what? You're just doing it in your room, right? I mean, let's get serious about the whole charge of conspiracy to distribute Coke. I'm going to distribute some to myself right now. I'm going to do a line and then just, whoa, boom, fuck. I wish I'd told someone. Um... Roxanne K. Hedinger of Powder Springs, Georgia, very aptly named Powder Springs, sentenced to 30 days in jail for conspiracy to distribute cocaine. So that's not even distributing cocaine. That's talking to someone about the act of distributing. Hey, you want some coke? No, I'm all right. What about you over there? Hey, your buddy didn't hear me. Does he want any coke? No, he doesn't want coke. Oh, fuck. A jury of your peers, Miss Hedinger. Edgar Leopold Krantz of Minot, North Dakota. 24 months of confinement and pay reduction for, yes, you guessed it, cocaine use, adultery, and bouncing checks. First of all, if you've ever been to North Dakota, cocaine, adultery, and bouncing checks are the only entertainment available. (laughs) You are up fucking against it. I'd like a pizza. It's 10 p.m. Click. You know, it's hard going there. You have to go back to the room and violate yourself. So, frankly, the fact that he found Coke in North Dakota excites me beyond all measure. Because you could stop at every bar and get looked at for being a fucking flatland city slicker. Uh, Look at me and tell me I could go through North Dakota unobtrusively in any way. Why why are you wearing a suit? That's what I love. Because I've been to Shola, Arizona. Uh, we went to a wedding and we went to a 7-Eleven after and next to the rifle news and, you know, like the Rush Limbaugh glossy mags in the rack, the guy behind the counter goes to me, why are you all dressed up? Like furious, <laughs> furious, not what did you go to? Hey, this is a, you know, it's Sunday and whatnot. Why are you all dressed up? And I'm like, easy, easy, dude. I'll put a gimme cap on if it'll make you feel gooder. <laughs> Conspiracy to distribute cocaine. No one conspires to do it. It just happens. It's as natural as rain. Uh, Yeah, so those are some of the hardened criminals he pardoned. And we can look forward at the end of the administration to, uh, I I suppose, uh, Eric Holder. and mm, I'd love to tell more jokes right now, but I'm a little busy drinking. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There we go. Uh, when he has to pardon Bernanke, I think will be the, a fine day. So, yes, about the WikiLeaks, this Julius uh, Assange uh, being held in London. First of all, he turned himself in. I don't know if anyone's aware of that. It, watching the American news is fantastic. I've heard so many people call for his assassination on American TV. Do we do that now? We've really, we've really crossed over in the last couple of years in this country to a fantastic point of opinion where I'm working in obscurity in a bar in West Hollywood doing a podcast, but I see actual highly paid millionaire, insane psychopath uh, uh, TV pundits come on TV and go, he should be assassinated. Like, really? Assassinated for releasing a bunch of shit we knew was true? Did, was there anyone on earth who didn't know Gaddafi used Botox? Now, I grant you. I grant you it's not something we'd all given a lot of thought to. And it's not really a matter of national security, but it's something we found out from the WikiLeaks for certain because of these uh, diplomatic cables, as they call them. I love that they're still cables, as if there's a telex machine in a room somewhere. Thank you. Two people are old enough to remember what a fucking telex machine is. Crack a Google later. That's how they used to communicate. Uh, uh, yeah, so he's in jail for that. Uh, Qaddafi is, I think, my favorite uh, WikiLeak 
victim because we found out, um, well, we all knew that he carried around, uh, he walked in a retinue with 35 virgin female bodyguards. And I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of his uh, posse, but it's awesome. Uh, it's all these dark-haired girls. They're all wearing these like uniforms. They look like they're uh, in Public Enemy. You know, remember when Public Enemy would run their own security force and they'd do the little dance before Flavor Flav would come out? He's got them dressed the exact same way. They've got little berets on. They're super sexy. They've got much back. And they, uh, they follow him around. But now we found out that he doesn't go anywhere, according to the WikiLeaks, without a voluptuous blonde nurse. That's how the American diplomats described her, a voluptuous blonde nurse. There's one photo extant of her on, uh, uh, on the internet, and she looks like, this is going to lose almost the entire crowd. Lottie Lenya. That's who she looks like. If anyone's seen the movie Thunderball, she's the Russian agent with the knife in her boot who tries to kill Bond. Very dykey, kind of, you know, short hair, real prominent nose. That's what she looks like. Galinia Kolitnitska. Forgive my pronunciation, Lubitsch. Uh, Galinia Kolitnitska. And the reason why he carries this voluptuous blonde nurse with him at all times is she knows his routine. Well, one can only imagine what Omar, Muammar Gaddafi's routine is because he is the sassiest and kickiest dressing dictator that ever walked the face of the earth. He wears sometimes like these crazy, you know, he'll do a golf outfit and then uh, he'll go like super African and wear like a dashiki with a giant Africa symbol on it. And then my favorite one is when he does the Michael Jackson dictator of Pertopia outfit where, you know, you, you, you've, you, you're from a sexual assaultania and you've got epaulets and like all these braids for no reason whatsoever and a giant double eagle on your hat and then he wears a photograph and a full-on photograph with a frame can you do that these are rules we didn't know existed i didn't know you could wear a fucking full-on photograph with a frame around it of your family i love him for that and uh you never know when he's gonna go sometimes it's a beret sometimes it's a tash tuk, a dish dosh whatever the mood takes him Sometimes bare ankled, sometimes kooky. And uh, I, I, love, I love how he dresses. He hates to fly over water. Well, he lives in Libya, right? So a lot of desert. But it, say you want to leave Libya and go to like, oh, another country. You're going to fucking fly over water. What kind of petty bitch psychopath? Dude, pull up your skirts and man up. <laughs> Wear a picture of water if you have to, but let's go. Apparently, when he comes to the States, he stops in, New like, Europe first and then goes to New York. He loves flamenco dancing. I am getting a deep homosexual vibe right now, okay? <laughs> Up until now, I don't like to cast aspersions and go, oh, that's so gay, because that's so easy to say. But if you love flamenco and you wear dashikis and you hate to fly over water and you bring a Ukrainian a Ukrainian urse with you, because I'm Reverend Spooner, if you bring a Ukrainian urse with you and you try to distribute okane... <laughs> I'm just saying. And this is the coup de grace. He, he, sets, he has to have giant suites wherever he visits because he sets up a Bedouin tent in his bedroom. That is fucking more than awesome. That's off the deep end of awesome. That's in the Marianas Trench of awesome. That's unfathomably awesome. You can't find that much awesome. I have now, from this moment on, adopted this as my own personal rule. Wherever I travel, and I travel quite a lot, sometimes it might be as boring as, you know, San Luis Obispo or, you know, as mundane. Other times as wild and crazy as Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania. I am bringing a tent with me and I'm setting it up in my room. And that's how I roll from now on. If you see me and I'm wearing a giant photograph of the cast of Whose Line on my chest, 
in a frame and you come into my room and you're like, I can hardly fucking move in here. I'm like, yeah, it's my Bedu tent. You are Howie Tat and you cannot drink from my well. Then you'll know that I've gone completely cut off. We found out so many things we already knew, like um, the Saudis want Iran to die and uh, that Sarkozy's, uh, Sarkozy is hard work. Uh, th- that Putin's an asshole. I mean, really, the WikiLeaks didn't reveal anything that... The, I think my favorite thing I found out, and I don't know if it was a WikiLeak, was that um, we run a, a propaganda station in Saudi Arabia, America does, called Al, Al Hurrah. And, uh, <laughs> which, by the way, I think was skipped over unfairly as a cable name here. If there was a station in between A&E and E! Channel called Al Hurrah, I would fucking watch that every night just to see what they could possibly be putting on. Well, Al Hurrah. Um, they show David Letterman and Desperate Housewives, and apparently Saudis are watching it all the fucking time. They can't get enough Letterman. And I think that's how you spread democracy, with cynical middle-aged comedians. And I'm doing my best I can right here. We've also found out that... Um, what's his name? Uh, Berlusconi from Italy. We just have to stop for a second about Berlusconi. I don't know if anyone's been following the Berlusconi story, but over the last year or two, uh, as well as his whole career, first of all, he wears that weird, slick-back, Hercule Poirot, Albert Finney in uh, Murder on the Orient Express hair that's like a doll or or some kind of weird... You know, Berlusconi does this super Bella Lugosi, you know, listen to the creatures of the night, what music they make, you know, like he has this really wild haircut that he wears. Almost as if he'd have to dust himself with powdered sugar because he seems so sticky. And, um, and he's got that weird, you know, he's, he's prematurely tan and, and, and he, uh, he, he dresses, he has fuck-off suits. I'll give him that. Mm. He's had the mad surge, right? So his face is completely, it's as if he's walking into a wind at all times. He's the prime minister of Italy. I think I didn't specify early on when I introduced the Berlusconi thing. My presumption that every single person in this room would know who the fuck Berlusconi is off the top of your head is a little bit presumptive of me. He's the prime minister of Italy. He also owns a giant media conglomerate there. Uh, Ray Uno and Ray Due and all that. It would be as if Ted Turner and Rupert Murdoch were unbelievable sex hound playboys who dressed like Dracula. That's what it would be like if they were president. That's what Italy has right now. They have a guy with candy hair who chases pussy with something close to a fervency. I don't know how to describe his devotion to Hoochie. There's really no superlative large enough and and, and it extends far past just chicks uh, 17 year olds 18 year olds he got his wife split because last year he went over to this 18 year old 18 year old girl's house he's 72 in Dracula years he's eternal he's eternal in slick back weird candy surgery years and Italy deserves it, frankly. How many, how many governments have they had since World War II? 79? A thousand? Like, they, do they even vote there? Or do they just, like, throw, like, a, a rice ball into a circle or whatever? Oh, look, it rolled that way! Okay! You know, like, they're crazy. They, they have the best clothes and the best food. If you've ever been to Italy, it's more fun than any fucking place you could ever fucking go. They're lively. Okay, their folk music kind of blows. But other than that, they're awesome. And yet they can't pick a fucking government. And then you come to our country and you're like, yeah, we pick governments, but then they turn on us and bite us in the ass like a baby Cayman that you bought through airmail or whatever. And then, oh, the Cayman will be cool. And then it fucking bites you two days later. 
So Berlusconi was one of this 18 year old girl's house for her birthday because he said he was she was a friend of his family. Now, I don't know how old you are, but I'm guessing that people who are proportionately younger than you say, I don't know, five, four year olds. You're not like cruising by their house for their birthday because they're a friend of your family. Maybe you'd leave them alone because they're a kid and they would enjoy themselves. Um, then this year it was 17 year old prostitutes and he was having these giant prostitution parties and they were called bunga bunga parties. Now, again. We have we had President Clinton, and we all know what happened with Clinton. He was given the ba- uh, you know the um, the benison, the gift, the endowment, the bestowment of Filatio, and we had a trial about that. He did not have bunga bunga parties, and that's what's disappointing about this country. I demand that we step the fuck up, one, and start have our politicians have to dress a little bit fucking better. I don't know if you see how most of them dress, but they dress like they're going to an eighth grade fucking hot nanny dance. It's horrible. The color combinations, the bad hair that you see how Tom DeLay looks with that weird fucking hair helmet and the awful suit and shit. He looks like a country lawyer who's going to fuck you over in a truck accident trial. And let me step it up. Let's have some bunga bunga parties around this motherfucker. I demand it. And you, what is a bunga bunga party, Greg? Well, it's a party where a lot of girls are invited that are on the payroll. And then after dinner, hey, all bets are fucking off. Let's get it on. Except that you have to, the downside of the bunga bunga party is there was photos of them from last year. And he had all the world leaders there, you know, uh, well, world leaders, you know, people from all the avias and anias in Eastern Europe, Um, those countries. Uh, and they were all running around with semis, and you could see them in the nude with guards with uh, uh, Tommy guns and whatnot, Uzis in the background. So armed guards, fully clothed, wearing the Secret Service outfit with the shades and the thing in their ear, standing there while Berlusconi runs by with a semi. And you're like, that is fucking horrifying. N- never mind the WikiLeaks. Let's let, never let that footage out again. I'm completely scarred. Mm. So in the midst of all of this, and Mr. Julian Assange uh, uh, being held in Wandsworth Prison in London, which is not a nice place, with no charges and no bail. Uh, this press release was released today by the Bureau of Public Affairs, which is a, a branch of the government you may have heard of. The United States to host World Press Freedom Day in 2011. Washington, D.C., December 7th, 2010 is the date of this press release by Philip J. Crowley, the Assistant Secretary, Bureau of Public Affairs. The theme for next year's commemoration will be 21st century media new frontiers, new barriers. The United States places technology and innovation at the forefront of its diplomatic and development efforts. New media has empowered citizens around the world to report on their circumstances, express opinions on world events, and exchange information in environments sometimes hostile to such exercises of individuals' right to freedom of expression. Isn't it awesome that we're doing that on the same day that we're calling for his extradition? Why am I finding this funnier than everyone else? I really should have worked harder today on the slant, I think, because... What I'm getting from you guys is a sort of unbelievable children's funeral pall of heinous, oh my God, I can't believe you're reading these home truths to us when we've already been thinking about them all fucking day and we were hoping you'd make some dick jokes or something, Greg. (laughs) Then we wander into this and you're reading us press releases from the fucking Bureau of Public Affairs about World Press Freedom Day and and hoping that we'll find it ironic. That was, was in fact, my plan. (laughs) 
But now I'm going to be calling for a bunga bunga party pretty goddamn quick around here and let this bar break out into mayhem and I'm going to wear a Qaddafi outfit is what I'm going to do because I'm finding this a lot fucking funnier than you are. At the same time, we're concerned about the determination of some governments to censor and silence individuals. <laughs> really? Which governments? Oh, the one that's all around me while I type this press release. Uh, and to restrict the free flow of information. You mean by calling for the assassination of a crazy pussyhound Australian guy who calls himself the James Bond of journalism? <laughs> Which he does, by the way. And, and chases chicks with something less than a Berlusconian hoochie frenzy. I'm not saying Julia Assange has bunga bunga parties. Heaven forfend. Uh... We mark events such as World Press Freedom Day in the context of our enduring commitment to support and expand press freedom and the free flow of information in this digital age. Unless... Oh, no, there's no joke there. You're waiting like I'm waiting. Unless, uh, you know, we're embarrassed because a private who pretended to bring a Lady Gaga album in, downloaded all the fucking memorandum <laughs> memorandum the diplomatic corps could come up with in the last two years and then gave it to an Australian guy who chased chicks in Sweden and then he released it and then our government flipped the fuck out and we have people calling for his assassination. It's a perfect atmosphere for World Press Freedom Day. I'm just glad this show's free to go out with the lack of humor that's booing it tonight. <laughs> Is it about time to take some questions? All right. Uh, why don't you, uh, one of my uh, stalwart producers here, which one are you? You're the one with the hat. The one with the hat is handing me, Matt and Ryan, my beloved uh, producers. We take questions here on the uh, smartest man in the world because uh, I, I have answers. Uh, up till now, I can see that you're not convinced of that, but watch me work. Here's a question from Canozette. And by the way, what's the email they can send these to? Smartest at a special thing dot com. Uh, smartest at a special com. All lowercase, I'm presuming. Yeah. And I am, in fact, um, the James Bond of information. <laughs> so, Send them to that email and we shall disseminate them. Uh, should I convince my net... I have not seen these, by the way. Uh, this was just handed to me because I asked them not to show me the questions beforehand. So I can't vouch for their quality. But I can already sense from the first three words that I've read out of this question <laughs> that the quality is somewhere between bunga bunga and 38-year-old Ukrainian voluptuous nurse. <laughs> should I convince my nephew... Not to believe in any sort of Santa. Really, you guys? You're the fucking producers of this show? <laughs> Holy kittens. What am I, grit? What am I, Parade Magazine? You get with the Sunday paper? This is one of their fucking letters. I love Desperate Housewives, but how do they do it? Do they shoot in a studio? <laughs> the questions to Parade Magazine are the most remarkably... Where do you live? In Appalachia under a fucking tin can? Who doesn't know? That's my favorite thing about the questions in Parade Magazine. I love Angelina Jolie, but does she make up those things she says in the movies? Or are they in a script? <laughs> 
Should I convince my nephew not to believe in any sort of Santa? Can can Zanat? Um, this question is far too formidable for me to undertake. First of all, I don't know your nephew. If he's over the age of 30, then yes. Yes. He oughtn't believe it anymore because it's going to interfere with things like jobs and getting meeting girls and whatnot. Uh, because if you meet a girl and you're like, it's Christmas time, and you go like, fucking, I can't wait till Santa comes. I put a sock out. And then I leave some cookies and always a carrot for Rudolph. The girl might not know that you're a fucked up mental case or might go like, wow, that's really cute and charming. But I think there's a dangerous uh, ground there. Uh, should I convince, if he's over 30, yes. If he's under five, no. Let him dream. We all find out all too soon that uh, we vote for Obama and then he gives tax breaks to the rich. So the dream fucking bursts the minute you can fucking walk. <laughs> Thank you for that applaud. If you could write, this is the second question from Angelique. How disappointing that it's not from Angeline. <laughs> Angeline, for the podcast listeners out there, is a, a Hollywood habitué and a stalwart personality on the Los Angeles scene. No one's quite certain what Angeline does, but from time to time there are billboards all over Los Angeles, and to describe her is to describe... Mm, uh, how do you describe Angeline? Cartoonish, uh, giant blonde hairdo, and extraordinarily large breasts, like twin dirigibles docking in Lakehurst, New Jersey in the late 30s. Oh, the humanity are the size of her breasts. She's quite pale and has uh, ruby red lips and wears like Lolita glasses and drives, and I've seen her many times. How many people, people have seen Angeline drive around, right? Not just me. She, sometimes in a pink Corvette, much like Penelope Pitstop in the old Wacky Racers cartoon program. Uh, 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 and her uh, uh, license plate says Angeline on it. And one time I pulled up next to her and she was actually sucking on a red lollipop, which made me the happiest person in Los Angeles. She, I don't know how to describe her age. It's impossible. No one knows how old she was when she started. And by the way, when I say when she started, no one knows what it is she started. Because no one knows what Angeline has done or did or why she's famous in any manner other than from time to time there's a thousand billboards about her in Los Angeles. Sometimes offering her uh, to you. You can, you can book her. Uh, those are the last ones I remember on Fairfax. They're like, Angeline's available. Yeah. Dial this number and whatnot. Go to this specious, you know, www.flybynot.com is her management, you know, and like, and then sometimes it's like, oh, Angeline, she's just fucking awesome. And then it'll be like tits out, lips up. And you're like, she is, but it's clear that she's timeless. Let me put it that way. I, I would never impugn a woman's age. When she turned and looked at me while she was on the lollipop and I saw her in her pink Corvette, <laughs> she wouldn't smile or make any expression because she could not afford the crackage. Let me just put it that way. Like the Sphinx, her nose would just poof, fall right off. And then we'd have to spend the next 1,500 years looking at her without a nose. If you could write the bio... This is from Angelique. If you could write the biography of any person living or dead, who would it be and Why? Oh, that's an interesting question, and it's caught me completely off guard. Um, any person living or dead, golly. Mm. Well, I read a lot of biography, but usually they're about ancient history. And uh, this is the part where everyone might want to go outside and order a pizza. Because I can be more boring about ancient history than any human that ever walked the face of the earth. I would say Julius Caesar, but 
All right, I'm going to say Julius Caesar. And that's the end of that answer. Two fucking words is what you get, Angelique. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why. Because I was reading uh, this book about Cleopatra by Stephanie Schiff. It's a new uh, biography of Cleopatra, right? And I love that you can write a new biography about a person who's been dead for thousands of years. And first of all, what makes Cleopatra so awesome more than anything is she's probably one of the most famous women that ever lived. Even at this late date, there's not a person in this room who doesn't have a vision of what Cleopatra looks like, right? She's got bangs. She looks like a cocktail waitress at the MGM, uh, I mean, at Caesar's Palace in Vegas, right? All the waitresses at Caesar's Palace. There's even a Cleopatra's barge bar there where they all wear those weird, bulky Egyptian wigs with the bangs on them. Well, uh, my friend Phil told me that I should drop a historical nugget each week. Cleopatra was not Egyptian. She's from a Macedonian family. Alexander the Great invaded Egypt some 300 years before, and one of his generals was named Ptolemy, or as you would read it, Ptolemy in the book. And Ptolemy survived Alexander when he died, and when he died... Uh, they said to Alexander, who should take over your kingdom? Because he conquered most of Asia and all of Egypt. And uh, he said, the strongest. And Ptolemy took Egypt, fantastically. And when you hear the word Ptolemy, you always think, oh, there's a million Egyptian pharaohs named Ptolemy. Well, there is, but it's because of Alexander the Great. And Cleopatra is the last of the Ptolemies. Her brother, who she married, was Ptolemy. Her other brother, who she married, was Ptolemy. She killed both of them. She killed all their sisters, too, awesomely. So, in this book... Uh, there's a paragraph that gave me an absolute Berlusconi semi-bunga-bunga hard-on. Because when I read history books, the, the part that I hate was when it's boring and it's facts and they go, in the year 37 BC, the army marched into Parthia and you're like, where the fuck's Parthia? Um, this one is, is at the moment when Mark Anthony, uh, you remember that uh, uh, she had an affair with Caesar. She delivered, and this is the historical nugget I'm dropping on you this week. It's often said that Cleopatra delivered herself in a rug rolled up to Julius Caesar. Caesar had come with his legions to Egypt to take over, right? And he was chasing Pompey, a general who he's fighting. Cleopatra was 20, 21 maybe. She wasn't a kid like in the play. Uh, she, she was actually 20. And um, she had a, an assistant named Apollodorus who was a Sicilian. As you do when you want to get shit done. Am I wrong or am I wrong? That hasn't changed in 2,000 years. So Apollodorus was her uh, uh, aide-de-camp, and uh, she wanted to get to Caesar, but she was on the outs because her brother, uh, Ptolemy, had the shit tied down all around Alexandria, which was named after Alexander. He started it 300 years before. Hmm. So Apollodorus said, let's put you in a bag. So they got a bag, a burlap bag, and they delivered her to Caesar. Uh, Caesar was delivered this present. He opened it up and boom, out jumped a 20-year-old hot Macedonian pharaoh girl. And uh, so he, she had an affair with Caesar, had a baby with him. Then, of course, he got wiped out in Rome. She was there at the time. And she fucked off back to Egypt. Well, Antony, who was his general, comes to Egypt. And then they have the romantic cruise, just like in the movie with Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. Mark Antony traveled to Egypt without a military escort or the exidnia of office, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there are cities in which to spend a fortune and cities in which to make one. Only in the rare great city can one accomplish both. Such was Cleopatra's Alexandria, a scholarly paradise with a quick business pulse and a languorous resort culture where the Greek penchant for commerce met the Egyptian mania for hospitality, a, a city of cool raspberry dawns and pearly late afternoons with the hustle of heterodoxy and the aroma of opportunity thick in the air, 
even the people watching was best there. That's a fucking history book. (laughs) Cool Raspberry Dons? Did Prince collaborate on this book? When it was warm, she wouldn't wear much more. The hustle of heterodoxy? I had to fucking look up heterodoxy. I'm the smartest man in the world. It means, sadly, the same as unorthodox. It means a multifaceted point of view. Of course it does. It's Alexandria. That was the most sophisticated city in the world then. But that, that sentence is so beautiful. A languorous resort culture in the year 37 BC? Fan-fucking-tastic. Talk about bunga bunga. What kind of Nubian maidens were tied to a strap of hashish while a barge rolled down the, uh, the Nile with thousands of slaves waving palm fronds while stuffed crocodiles were lit on fire and fireworks set into the air as Roman emperors were fucking entertained? Holy kittens, that's romantic. <laughs> We're talking about people watching in the B.C. era, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, this is when, like, you know, Jesus was born and things happened and shit. Like, in all the movies, it's always so boring and stentorian. I was watching the one a couple of weeks ago because it was Thanksgiving. They were showing all the Jesus movies. Don't even ask. I don't know how programming gets done. And they were showing the fucking Max von Sydow one, The Greatest Story Ever Told, which was directed by George Stevens when he had completely taken leave of all humor and senses of his body. You see Stevens, pictures of Stevens directing the movie. He's wearing, like, black sunglasses and like we're gonna make a Jesus movie like well could there be fun at any point um he was the one who directed the diary of Anne Frank and Shane and a million great movies but in any case Max von Sydow plays Jesus well Max von Sydow is a six foot four Swedish actor with a Swedish accent it was the 60s so he's like blessed are the poor For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Blessed are the meek, so they shall inherit the earth. <laughs> and he's fucking gigantic. I'm guessing Jesus was a five foot six Jewish guy, not a blonde six foot four fucking Swedish actor. It's the best, and it's called the greatest story ever told. Which is like, don't ever name a book the greatest book ever written. Don't ever name a movie the greatest story ever told. Not the greatest story ever told. How about one of the freakiest fucking stories ever told? <laughs> And, 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 and it's so random. Sal Minio is in it as a guy who gets cured of blindness. Like, there's so many fucking Hollywood stars just pop up out of fucking nowhere in this fucking movie. Van Heflin is a Jew in it. Uh, yes, stay with me. And he fucking... Oh, God. Because during the Lazarus scene, which you don't get to see, which is a complete ripoff, if you're going to do Lazarus, let's see Lazarus pop up from the fucking dead. Instead, he walks to this weird tomb, and I'm going to go to the citadel in the town. And like he, Swedish Jesus is mad now. And he goes into the fucking mid, and they've obviously filmed it in the Holy Land. And then you don't even see Lazarus. And then all of a sudden, Lazarus rises. And Van Heflin, the 40s movie actor, who's wearing a red wig, like runs to the battlements of the town with Salminio. Is anyone following this? <laughs> Apparently, this was in the Bible, according to George Stevens. Fucking great movie. I mean, not entertaining, but great. You know what I mean? Like, you watch it. No, no amount of marijuana makes it entertaining. Let me just attest to that. Let me just... Can I be a witness? I smoked as much pot as I could possibly get down that day. My wife will back me up on this. The living room looked like a perfume cloud in Alexandria during a raspberry... What is it? 
<laughs> Raspberry Dawn and a pearly late. A- it was a pearly late afternoon when I was watching the movie. It was Thanksgiving Day, and you're like flipping around, and I'm like, fucking greatest story ever told. It's been a while. Uh, I forget. Is Ernest Borgnine the Centurion in this one? No, that's the Zeffirelli one. Because in the Zeffirelli one, Rod Steiger plays Pontius Pilate. Are you fucking kidding? Pontius Pilate was a Jewish act- method actor from New York who's five foot four and fat. And they- no, 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 no. I wash my hands. You're like, really? Rod Steiger? Because David Bowie is Pontius Pilate in one of them. I can't remember which. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. There's another one. Is it Greatest Story Ever Told? I think it is. With John Wayne as the centurion. He's this. He's the son of the Lord. Uh, uh, Unbelievable. John Wayne in a Bible movie is fucking unbeatable. Next to having Salminio in one. I was blind and now can I see? And you're like, really? (laughs) Were you the kind of ambisexual guy in Rebel Without a Cause? Seven short years later, you're... Jesus cured you. That's so fucking cool. Uh, yeah, even the people watching was there. For Anthony and Cleopatra, Anthony and Cleopatra, euphoric entertainment followed prodigal feast. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Page turner. Barn burner. Uh, and the next question. Kyla. Uh, Kyla? Oh my goodness. Either someone with a very exotic uh, name or someone whose parents were born in the 70s. What is something you have not yet done in your life that you want to do, brackets, or achieve, end parent, within the next decade? Really, Kyla? (laughs) Read this question would be the first thing. (laughs) I wish I had not done that. (laughs) Up until this question was opened, I hadn't really given this much thought. Call me shallow. The unexamined life makes for the funny poop cast, in my opinion. What is something you want to do or achieve within the next decade? Well, on a very venal level, I'd like to be so rich that I could live in Europe the rest of my life because then I could explode Pentagon papers and and, uh, explosive documents that privates unleashed on the world. I'm joking, of course. I don't want to live in Sweden ever. I was in Norway once, and it was penetratingly boring, albeit uh, exceedingly middle class and clean. We were in one city. I'm basing it all in one city. Stavanger? Stavanger? How does anyone say it? Stavanger? Anyone ever been in a fucking Norway? Um, you, you could have died of white people. Let me put it that way. I, I demand Chinese food at night and queers and Jews and stuff like that. That's a city, right? Like Alexandria. I want raspberry dawns. There was no raspberry dawns in Norway. We were on a USO tour. And then we got really, really, really drunk. We went to a karaoke bar. And one of my friends got up and sang, uh, uh, fantastically, uh, what's that one by Kenny Rogers? Everybody called him the coward of the county. (laughs) At a karaoke bar in Norway. The two guys next to us are gay as a fucking flight of doves. And they say, oh my God, your friend is so cute. And I go, he is hot for you guys. I'm so drunk and I just totally, I completely bitched him out. I so routed him out. And then he sits down and of course they're all over him like white on fucking rice and it was hilarious to me. 
But um, so the next morning we get up and because it's a USO tour, every goddamn moment of your time is, you know, spent doing something. And by the way, you're like, USO tour in Norway, Greg? Shouldn't you have gone to like Iraq or Afghanistan where there's fucking troops posted? Who's in Norway? Well, the answer is 70 troops are posted in Norway in the greatest gig of anyone in the armed forces. There is virtually no potential possibility, not the slimmest happenstance that Norway is going to be involved in any kind of fracas, fight, rhubarb, not, e- not even a jostling. You know what I mean? Not even like, hey, fuck you. Get- I was in line first. None of that. It's Norway. What could happen? You know, hey, la la hu, la la hey, macarina. You know, nothing. Nothing could happen in Norway. So there's a, there's a post there, and there's a bunch of international soldiers, all, all from NATO and the USO and CETO and whatnot. And... And they don't even wear uniforms. They wear fucking street clothes. Because what would be the point of walking down the street of Stavanger, Norway in a fucking marine uniform and shit? We went to a party at a general's house and colonels were serving us drinks. Like full bird colonels giving you drinks. And then you thought, well, fuck it. We're here. Uh, All right. Colonel, come on. Chop, chop. (laughs) V&T, baby. V&T. That's how that works. And light ice. Light ice! (laughs) What was the question? Oh, cock. What do I want to achieve? Oh, right. Enough money to go to Europe constantly. So constantly that it would be like living there. Uh, Andy asks this question. What's your favorite book of all time? Um, All right. This is going to open me up for a lot of criticism. I am, uh, contrary to popular misconception, a white, uh, hetero, middle-aged male. My favorite book, I know, I don't make much of a case for it, but my favorite book, really, with those socks? With those socks and those glasses, you're fucking hetero? Good for you, Greg. (laughs) Which brings me to my quote of the week. Uh, Last week, it was Charlie Sheen's uh, A Guy Goes Crazy and Everyone Loses It. This week, my quote of the week, Oprah Winfrey. I'm not a lesbian. I'm not even kind of a lesbian. (laughs) You know, I know gay people, and there really isn't a kind of a lesbian category. So, wow. No, no, we believe Gail's your friend. We do. Uh, What's your favorite book of all time? My favorite book of all time... It is a Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy there. Cormac McCarthy is a 75-year-old, 78-year-old, however old he is. Um, he's a bit right-wing. He wrote No Country for Old Men and All the Pretty Horses to orient you so that your world stops spinning. And Blood Meridian is one of his 80s books that he wrote when he was just on like uh, Rockefeller Grants and Guggenheim Grants and Genius Endowments when nobody read him. Uh, I was given the book in like 89 by Mike McShane, my friend. And... Uh, I love the book. The thesis of the book, to boil it down to one fucking simple sentence, is war is God. That'll give you an idea of the kind of fun I have at home and uh, that my wife can't be awarded enough illustrious medals, bottles of champagne, and expensive holidays. The fact that she has to put up with this shit and that Cormac McCarthy is my favorite author. I think (laughs) there's really not enough candy in the world to make that right. There's not enough trips in Paris that could ever happen in one's lifetime to fucking make Blood Meridian, your favorite book, feel good ever at any point. Here's the plot of the book. A young boy uh, uh, comes from Tennessee out west. I'll I'll put it in a nutshell because I can see the crowd recede. (laughs) 
There's be no more raspberry dawns from this crowd. Only blueberry winks and horrible raspberry endings. <laughs> and a hideous fig-laced declamation. Uh, he, he joins a band of brigands after the Mexican-American War. Did you say Mexican-American War, Greg? When do I sign up to read this fucking book? Are you talking the late 1840s, that favorite period of fiction? Yeah, I fucking am, bitches. Get on the Thoreau train. Um, in the 1840s, a band of brigands, right, who go around the countryside, they've been given, uh, they have to hunt scalps of Apaches, and they're given $50 a scalp. Man, woman, or child, right? So babies, too. And... Uh, they run around uh, what was Mexico, which is now Texas, and fucking kill people relentlessly one after the next. Why is it good, Greg? Because in their company is a character called the Judge, who's clearly Satan. And um, he's the one who says war is God. And you can go, oh, war isn't God. God is love, right? As Marvin Gaye and Prince said. And God is love. However, in this day and age, with the WikiLeaks and two wars going on and tax cuts for the rich, I think you might have to agree that war is God is not the worst thesis of all time. Here's the next question, Scott. If we can put a man on the moon... Oh, you got to be cocking kidding me with this cocking question. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> Shit. Okay, here we go. Scott asks, if we can... I'll try to dignify this question. If we can put a man on the moon... First of all, any question that starts if we can put a man on the moon... It's been many a year since we put a man on the moon. And by the cocking way, we've put many men on the moon. So the question is completely... Erroneous as well as irrelevant at this point. And also, the, com the, the, the unbelievably faulty comparison, it's, it's the worst, what is it, a, a, a syllogism? Uh, uh, you, you can't say, if we put a man on the moon, why can't we cure a cold? One thing has nothing to do with the other. That's like saying, if frogs can hop, then why can't I get a heart on all the time? Like, what? What the fuck? Why do people like jazz? And how come chocolate's so small? Disappointingly small. <laughs> If they can put a man on the moon, then I can make sense of your cocking question, Scott. Why can't my toaster automatically note it? Oh, you gotta be joking. Why can't my toaster... First of all, your toaster's an inanimate object. Like your computer, like your pen, like your chair. Your, com your toaster's not registering anything, Scott. So when you ask, why can't my toaster do something? It's because it only has the capacity of a toaster. <laughs> Suddenly, it's not going to be imbued with magical powers and fly around the room like Angela Lansbury and bed knobs and broomsticks. <laughs> Don't you mean Harry Potter or something that's happened in the last 30 years, Greg? I do not. <laughs> Why can't my toaster automatically notice the difference between a bagel, a slice of bread, and a Pop-Tart? Because it's a toaster, Scott. You know... I can barely notice the difference. When I'm high, oh, well, now the question comes into perspective. You see, if I'd only read the whole question first, I would then have been able to answer it more succinctly. When I'm high, fuck, speaking of that, by the way, the movie The Greatest Story Ever Told, not so good when you're high, but the new TV show on E! Channel Married to Rock, awesome when you're high. <laughs> Speaking of Angeline, every woman on the show looks like Angeline, and every guy on the show looks like Perry Farrell's, uh, you know, colorist. 
It is awesome. That's a free plug for e-channel on that one. When I'm high, I don't have time to waste resetting the toaster. Fucking A, Scott. That's the answer to that. I know exactly what you mean now, broham. Because sometimes I put, sometimes I put a, a wheat toast in and like you go, oh, fuck, I left it on six or whatnot. And then you go, fuck, I'm high. And then it burns and shit. And then you have to put another one in. And then you go, oh, fuck, all that's left is the heel. And like not enough blueberry jam in the world can make the heel good. The heel of the bread. No one else calls the end piece the heel? What decade are you from, Greg? I'm from the decade of raspberry dons and pearly fucking... What are they? Pearly... I'm from the hustle of heterodoxy and the aroma of opportunity is where the fuck I'm from. My question is a thorny political one, prefaced. Wait a minute, this says Matt. You're fucking Matt. Did you write this question? The one with the cap, Matt. Not the one sitting not over there, run. My question is a thorny political one, period. Oughtn't it be my question is a thorny political one, comma? I don't mean to be fucking E.B. White about this. E.B. White collaborated with Mr. Strunk to write The Elements of Style, which is a grammarian. Yeah, one person. Again, okay, fine. I'll take one. My question is a thorny political one, full stop. When I read or hear what a politician has to say, I always classify them thus, semicolon. One, you're a corrupt arse, arsehole. Two, oh my goodness, this, this one gets saucy toward the end, and you knew that, didn't you, little rascals? When I read or hear what a politician has to say, I always classify them thus. One, you're a corrupt arsehole. Two, you're a stupid and dangerous. Three, you're a cunt. Are there more categories that should be considered? Matt. <laughs> No. I, I think you're right, Matt. I think when you hear a politician speak, uh, for instance, Obama, uh, was it today or yesterday? Well, if we had a memorial, the people are held hostage, and it was the American people that were held... Yeah, he was, one, being a corrupt arsehole, and two, he was being stupid and dangerous. Um, whenever you hear Joe Lieberman speak, number three applies. <laughs> Just do that as a rule of thumb. <laughs> rule of thumb. Let me give you some other rules of thumb. If you hear something on TV and it's on the news, it's a lie. If you read something in the paper and it's in the news section, it's half true. If it's on the internet, it's completely unsubstantiated. And if I tell you, you can fucking bet your life on it. <laughs> Should we take questions or... Wrap the fucker. Are we? We have time for maybe one or two. Uh, this is the point in the show where we open the floor because we're a democracy, like WikiLeaks. Um, <laughs> except that I don't make the visa site go down. We, uh, we, we take questions from anybody who wants to ask. We have a, a microphone here. If anybody wants to come up and ask a question of me, uh, I'd be happy to answer it. I, I promise to be gentle. Because I was harsh with the people who emailed them in. And thank you, by the way, Scott and Angelique and Kyla and Andy and Kanzo Nett uh, and Matt uh, for your cogent uh, email inquiries. I tried it on my Twitter. Uh, one of our producers, the one with the cap, suggested that I, uh, on my Twitter, uh, say, why don't you ask me questions for the smartest men in the world? So I said, ask me questions. And every single one was, is whose line coming back on the air? And I thought, 
You know, enough with the fat people who have to be lifted from a, with a crane from their fucking double-wide trailer. All right, that was a little harsh. Yeah, they did. Thank you for asking that. Whose Line will not be back on the air. There may be some improv show on the air. Do I work with the Whose Line guys? Fucking constantly. All the time. And the English ones as well. I know them and we're all friends. And sadly, we all get along. Um, I know. Because it would be much better if like, I had a blood feud with Wayne Brady and we tied ourselves together like in the Beat It video and fought each other with knives and shit. Wouldn't that be better than like I'm really good friends with him? I would like it better. Yeah, me and Colin Mockery, the bald older fellow, we fucking, every night we scrap and we fucking send each other sex and shit like that. We sext each other and we Brett Favre each other. We send each other pictures of our knobs and whatnot. <laughs> Wouldn't that be better than, we're good friends and we work together. But to, to answer your Who's Line questions, I didn't mean to impugn everyone who liked Who's Line. Thank you for liking it and thank you for ever fucking following me. Now that I've backed entirely off that horrible, vicious fucking slander slur that I made earlier but that's why I'm not taking them on Twitter so put them what is it smartest your words make no sense to me now (laughs) smartest at a special thing dot com and that'll weed out the people who can't spell smartest thank you sir yes I have a question go on uh in view of the political craziness going on and just sort of where this country is since you are the smartest man in the world what is the future of America? What, what can we expect that just normal people can't see? Tomorrow, thank you for asking. Thank you for your question. Uh, tomorrow, a plum dawn. <laughs> followed by a Concord grape sunset. You'll find more of the same uh, until there's violent revolution in the streets. I think that, fantastically, at the same point where the information glut, which this wiki, WikiLeaks, um, uh, I hate to call it a thing because that's so uh, abstruse, the, the, the revelations that WikiLeaks have recently come out with are part of the giant glut of information. There's no way to absorb the enormity and the, 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 there's just so many facts from the WikiLeaks thing, so many irrelevant things, so many relevant things, meeting with our utter cynicism at the very same time uh, as that, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, the TSA thing was uh, hot shit, and I, of course, never stopped talking about it because I'm obsessed with it because I have to fly all the time. The public has reached the point where we know everything the government tells us is bullshit. And we also know that everything on the news is fucking filtered through what the government wants us to know. At the same time as there's more information than we could possibly sort through in our lives. Which is why I thought we might all have a few fucking drinks and have a raspberry dawn tonight. To answer your question... America will carry on the same path until, in seven years' time from now, we become Portugal in the early 1500s. In the late 1400s, Portugal dominated the fucking earth. There was Vasco da Gama, and the king of Portugal sent ships around the world, and they went around the the Cape of Horn of Africa, and, 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 and everyone quaked in fear at the idea of Portugal. By the time Spain invaded the New World, Portugal was fucking over. And that's us. And by the fucking way, the world's going to miss us. WikiLeaks, invasions of Afghanistan and all. When China takes over, it's not going to be that fucking fun for you guys. Yeah. Be happy in your work will be the slogan of the world then. Right now, as you know, the slogan of the world is, fuck it, all right! 
Everything's going to carry on as it will, is the future of America, until we slide into second-rate countryhood. If you saw Obama at the G20 trying to get the Prime Minister of South Korea's attention, you'll know where America's fucking heading. <laughs> hey, you guys. Hey, you guys. Hey, you guys. Hey, you guys. I'm from America. Whatever. The Chinese PM. Whatevs. Well, then. Uh, that's him. Anybody else? Oh, you're back up again. Oh, no, it's someone else. Hey, Danielle. Hi, yeah, just, uh, Greg, uh, just, uh, on this day, do you, given the glut of information that we know we all... Is every question going to start with given? I love that. I like a given. I know. Go ahead. Uh, do you think it's wrong that we know the name of John Lennon's killer or people like that? Hmm. Or should it just be... That was a bit perplexing, but yeah, I mean... We, we knew it then, didn't we? Mark David Chapman, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Although, you know, I, I never like venerating uh, uh, killers or giving them their due because they always do it for the fame. And that's what every sociopath, the problem with them for me is. Uh, I used to have a buddy and he was well into, thank you for your question. I used to have a buddy and he was well into serial killers and I bought him a pack of serial killer trading cards and, you know, Ed Gein and all that and... You know, Charles Stuart Whitman and John Wayne Gacy and whatnot. But the problem with serial killers is they're, in, in the end, they're not humans. They're base animals and something's missing from their brain and there's one chromosome fucked up or whatever it is about them. They're, a, a real human loves other people and wants to get drunk with them and, and, and possibly shag them. Uh, not take them to their basement and paint them a different color and then do something awful to them. Uh, so, uh, is it wrong that we know that? No, it's necessary that we know it so that we can guard against other sociopaths paths and stuff like that. And by the way, governments are just like a bunch of sociopaths who's got together to agree to run shit. <laughs> when you have bunga bunga parties from a PM of a country with millions of people in a giant economy, I think you might have to lean toward my way a little bit. Or perhaps not. Uh, thank you very much for coming out to the show tonight. We'll reconvene on December, 20, December 22nd, is it? Uh, which is a Wednesday in this very room uh, for another edition of The Smartest Man in the World. I thank you very much for coming out here tonight, and I thank you very much for listening. My name's been Greg Proops. This has been The Proopcast, The Smartest Man in the World. Peace out.